the game's all about. All of a sudden, you feel like you can't miss. Welcome to Buckets. My name is Matt Moore. I'm the senior NBA writer for the Action Network. Joined as always by my compadres, my buddies, my NBA friends, Brandon Anderson, Raheem Palmer. You can catch them on the always popular Action Network podcast on Mondays and Fridays covering NFL. Uh, Brandon had himself a good weekend with the uh, underdog parlay. Congratulations on betting the Patriots. I hate you. Uh, I had a terrible, terrible NFL. I had, I, I tailed all the sharps on the Colts and I tailed all the sharps on the Falcons and it hurts so badly. I'm never trusting the Falcons ever again. As long which, as I- which sharps were on the Falcons, several of the pods I listened to, sir, just because you were crazy. Just because no, you because were, I, I mean, you know what Carolina it is? I saw team lot- sucks. That Carolina team sucks. They should not have it, won that game. I mean, the Falcons suck. Like yeah, I'm learning that, Raheem. <laughs> anyway, uh, you can track all of Raheem's monster winning plays as well as Brandon's in the Action Network app. You can track all those, including me, who's actually been red hot. I've been absolutely liquid fire the last three days. Last night was my first, I think, 500. No, losing night because the Lakers couldn't hold a 30-point lead dealt cover by 10. Thanks, Lakers. Again, rough day for me on Sunday. Uh, you can track all that in the Action Network app. If you do not have it, open your, your device right now. Just go to your phone or your iPad or whatever, your, your Kindle or your Microsoft Touch or your Zoom and go to the App Store and download the Action Network app right now. It's absolutely great. Uh, subscribe to the Action Network podcast. Subscribe to our new soccer podcast, Wundergal. Wundergal. Uh, subscribe to the Fantasy Flex. Great stuff there as well. And big bets on campus covering college football and soon college basketball as well as Stucky and Colin great podcasts there. Yeah. The Colts one was actually worse for me. Everybody was on the Colts. Like, ev- like uh, the, the, I'm pretty sure the favorites were on the Colts. I think Stucky was on the Colts. Like that's a lot of it is like, I listened to like the pods and then I go with it. And then now the Titans had to, to ruin my Sunday, uh, but this is an NBA podcast today on today's show. We're going to talk about, um, well, Raheem always says he likes to bet against human achievement. <laughs> human achievements having a rough month offensively in the month of October for the NBA. We move into November. We're going to talk about the undertrend. We're going to talk about the offensive issues. We're going to talk about the foul rate. We're going to talk about what all this means. And we're also the most interesting thing. I mostly like, most excited to talk about is to talk about it's like the inverse of Raheem's favorite phrase when to catch a falling knife. We have to figure out when to get out of the way of a falling knife. And that's what I'm excited to talk to him about. But let's go ahead and start at the top with the big picture. Unders are killing it. Unders are absolutely phenomenal this season. As we record this podcast on a Monday, unders are 59 and 34 for 63% on the season. Foul rate is the lowest in terms of free throws per field goal attempt since 1947. 1940 since two years after the world war two ended this is the lowest rate that we've had that at um no one can shoot okay three-point performance is as lowest level since 1999 we have all sorts of theories all sorts of ideas what do you think is the biggest cause of the offensive downturn that we've seen to start the season i think it's by far the three-point shooting 
Look, you have 18 teams shooting under league average. Percentage is at 34%. It's the lowest since 1998, 99. You're shooting 33.9%. You got nine teams shooting under 32%. And I think some of this is a product of variance, but I also think that some of it is just a product of defenders knowing that they can actually defend without getting these three shot fouls, which were, you know, rampant last year. But I think Terrence Mann actually made a really, really good point. He said, I think they asked him at Clippers practice yesterday um, why he thinks three-point shooting is down. And he said the last year and a half of NBA has been crazy. Like, today will be the Clippers' 117th game over the last 457 days. The Milwaukee Bucks, they won a championship. They played 118 games. And you can see that the Milwaukee Bucks are completely gassed. So maybe these teams don't have anything left in the paint, but I think the biggest reason for it is the three-point shooting and then obviously the foul rule. So you think that that's not just variance then on shooting. You think that the fatigue is actually causing their shooting percentages to decrease. Yeah, I, I think some of that has, has to do with it. Like, I just, I'm not sure we've ever seen this many teams shooting this poorly. So the Bucks and the Suns, I get it. But, like, I don't know that there's a meaningful difference between the teams that were eliminated at the end of the season and now, like, yeah, you know, it's like a month and a half shorter, right? Like that's basically what the difference was in, in terms of the off seasons. I don't know why there would be like a, a, a huge differential between um, the Hornets, right? Eliminated in May, right? Like, yeah, they still got June, July, August off. They got three months off. I, I get the idea that there's a general fatigue because like, I think we're all like, I mean, we've been through two NBA seasons and y'all are doing NFL. Like everybody's like, it's been exhausting. The pandemic, it turns out takes a lot out of you. I, I wonder here's, here's a number to kind of question. Okay. If, if we take that to be true, that the percentages are down because guys are tired. Restricted area shooting is up. I looked mm. this up 60.2%. Last five full seasons for the season is 58.82. So they're shooting better on restricted area shots so far than they have in general. Here's another one. Corner three shooting is up, right? Okay. Uh, last five seasons, 57.5. It's slightly down in October at 56.92. Something that we'll get into in a minute it's actually up versus October last year. Their teams are shooting or uh, versus, sorry, versus the first month of the season over the last five, five seasons. Uh, Cause last year we didn't play in October. Um, the drops are on mid range and above the break threes. Where- yeah, so I, I saw like above the break threes were down 3.2% from last year. So that has to just be variant then. Yeah. I, I mean, so- maybe, but the other, the other alternative, Brandon Anderson, is that's got something to do with how defenses are allowed to guard the marquee perimeter players on ball. Do you agree? That's interesting. Let me espouse my theory because my theory is very different than that. We'll come back to that because I'm going to talk about the defense and the foul rate. So my theory on the three-point shooting and the shots being down is I think this is just the modern, the whole thing we've done, the three is greater than two, get rid of the mid-range, only dunks, only three-pointers. I think this is that coming home to roost. We are forcing more and more guys who shouldn't be shooting threes who are just like, oh, we shoot threes now. I'm going to shoot a three. The big men are going to shoot threes. The the power forwards, the centers are all going to try to shoot threes. And I think, you know, last year, 
we saw shooting percentages go up a lot. And we saw that in the bubble when there was no crowds. We, we knew that that affected things and maybe obscured the trend a little bit. But I think that this is it's part of the the making basketball too efficient. We're taking we're, we're taking it too much to the extreme where it's like, OK, maybe too many threes. Maybe we finally got there, you know, with Steph Curry. Steph obviously is not the example of this. But I always thought when Steph is shooting 45% on threes for the season, to me, what that tells me is Steph is not shooting enough threes. He should be shooting more threes. If his shot is going in 45% of the time, that's too high. Shoot more threes. It should be down to like 40%, which is still an incredible shot. But if you can do that five more times a game and still be that well, then that's, that's good. So I think that that's what's happening is we're shooting we, we finally figured out, we finally are getting to the balance of, okay, enough threes, maybe, maybe a few less. So what do we think about that as just kind so, of, this is so the balancing. So basically you're saying that the NBA has basically become the MLB to where you basically have home runs and strikeouts now. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a similar thing with baseball. Yeah. We saw that too, where it's like, Hey, you know, don't, don't be getting these ground outs or whatever else, just swing for the fence and go for it. So I, yeah, I think teams are saying, Hey, look, like, look, even at 34%, 34% on a three-pointer is, is over one point per possession. That's not so bad, given the big scope of things. There are a lot of worse possessions and worse shots that you can take. Even 34% is still not a terrible shot. I think a lot of teams are fine with their 34% shooter taking that shot. So, and I think, too, that fits with, we know the corner threes are going to fall. We know that's a better shot. The above-the-break shots are the ones that are going to be much harder for some of these guys. So maybe teams will start to see this and be like, okay, Steph, you go ahead and shoot that above the break three. But actually, big men, actually forwards off the bench, maybe don't take that one. Maybe let's still play a little more conventional offense. So per 100 possessions, last year, 2021, uh, for the season, 25 points. Is it roughly rounded up? It's 25. It's 26. 26.0. Rounded up is 26 uh, threes attempted per 100 possessions. Okay. Uh, this year it's 26.65. So it's about 0.65 more threes per hundred possessions, which is not nothing. I am skeptical that this is the answer here. I think you can argue that shot selection is down. I think saying that just like everyone shooting more threes is a little bit, I think it's a little bit spacious. Um, I'd also say, if you look at it, teams are also taking fewer shots in the restricted area, which that kind of leads to it, right? Like more guys need to be taking layups. But the other thing I would say um, is over, compared to the last two seasons, more guys are taking mid-range shots. Like the mid-rangers are up per 100 possessions over higher than the past two seasons. It's down from 2000 and. 19 slightly, but it's up from the the previous two. So your argument would have to be built. Like the shots have to come from somewhere. Not everybody can take shots inside the, the paint, right? Yeah. In order for your argument to be valid, I would, you would have to be like mid range. Like if you're basically like, we've tried to efficiency ties this thing too much and need to let people let hoopers hoop, man, which is basically the argument you're making. Then we'd have to rem remove the mid range and that's not happening. So I don't think we can go there. Uh, I will tell you that my belief, there's there's two main arguments. The first is the ball. Mm. So the NBA last year got they 
their deal with Spalding ended and Wilson came in with a massive, massive offer. And so the NBA switched balls. They had, um, I believe Steph, no, Trey Young. It was Trey Young and Jamal Murray were on a council to help develop the new basketball. The players have said there is no noticeable difference. Like there are several quotes of players saying there's no noticeable difference. So I tend to believe them because the last time we had a ball change when, when Spalding went to the synthetic, the players were like, this sucks. Get rid of it now. It's awful. They hated it. And the league basically ditched it like within a month. Okay. If the players were complaining about it, we would hear about it. Like they would be very clear because they would want to get it out. Like they, those little details bug players a lot. The second argument is the fouls because the NBA made this rule change. They prevented hooking and they changed the, the rules on pump fakes and lean ins. And that was supposed to be it. But instead, the officials, I'm pretty sure the, I don't, this is my theory. This is me speaking speculatively. My theory is the officials are like, so let me get this straight. I have a vaccine mandate and you don't, but I have to listen to you bitch at me, even though we have this crazy foul rate and you're drawing all this nonsense that I have to call over and over again. Oh, now, now we're going back the other way. Fine. No calls for you. Nothing. Because like the players are genuinely upset. Like the star players do not feel like they're getting the calls on drives that they want. The rates for foul drawing at the rim is lower. Like everything is decreased. And if you watch the games, there is a physicality, not only in terms of like on ball stuff, but even off ball, they've basically just given defense back control of the game. Not entirely. I would still say it's like 70, 30 to 65, 35. Um, towards the offense that's that's about where the percentage i would put but like the last two seasons it's honestly been 80 20 defenders were like helpless but now there's been an adjustment the question is going to be we've seen these rule changes before the players are really annoyed they're all complaining trey young is one of the most vocal dame has been very vocal about it too and his numbers have been awful um raheem do you see the fouls being part of this conversation and why we're seeing this Oh, it's a huge part. Like when you look at Trey Young, he's averaged nine free throws a game the last two years. Now he's down to 4.3. When you look at James Harden, he averaged 10 free throws a game for like the last nine years when he was in Houston and like his his initial part of the, his time in Brooklyn. And now he's down to 5.3. He just started getting calls recently. But it's just like you're watching James Harden and it's just it's turnover after turnover on these these calls that would have been fouls last year. And then one thing I'm noticing is that it almost feels like they're not calling continuation in the, in the ways that they did previously. It's just like a lot of times you're watching the game and it's an obvious continuation call and they're just staying side out. So I just, I think we're seeing a lot, a lot less free throws than even the, the, the statistics indicate we're seeing just because it's just, Honestly, it's becoming like, I don't know what a continuation foul is anymore. It's almost like the catch in the NFL. So I think that has a big part to do with it. Transition foul rate is down about 1%, which doesn't sound like a lot, but it it's actually pretty significant. I asked two different um, analytics experts in the league this question. I was like, what what do you think is causing the, the downturn? And they said, look, the shifts in the shot and the foul shots is worth more than a point to offensive rating. Like that's where they think that the differential really is coming from is from foul rate differential. Um, Brandon, my question would be you as a, as a pretty consistent skeptic. Do you think that this is going to hold or do you think the officials will bend and we'll be back to uh, grift mania 
by Christmas. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I, I don't think it's going to hold. I, I I think maybe it holds some, but we've seen, you know, so often in in not just the NBA, in NFL and mini pro leagues, we see that there's the big rule change that happens in the offseason and all preseason, we harp about it. Oh my gosh, is this what it's going to be like now? And then for like the first two, three weeks of the season, we see that call get called over and over and over again. And then everyone complains about it, all the players, all the media. And then it slowly starts to fade and it's kind of like, all right, we made our point with it and, it and it disappears. Well, it doesn't disappear entirely, but it goes kind of back out of our consciousness from the conversation for the first two or three weeks to it just slowly fading. And what I wonder is this, the, the rule change that they did, I don't think that's just going to disappear. I think that they are going to keep calling that. I think they should keep calling that. What's happening now is not just the rule change. What's happening right. now is either the referees have been empowered and are like, all right, well, if we don't have to call that anymore, we're not going to call any crap anymore. I'm just going to not call this foul. That used to be a foul. I don't think that's a foul, so I'm not calling it. Either they're consciously doing that or they're confused and, hey, wait, that was a foul. It's not a foul. Maybe I'll swallow the whistle. I'll, I'll not call this now. But I think either one of those, it, it's going to, I don't know that I would even say it's skepticism. I just think it's going to even out over time. and. The same way that we're getting the hang of it, I think the refs are getting the hang of it. The players will, you know, even like Harden, we've seen, well, I don't know. I don't know if Harden is doing this, but we've seen Harden get some of those awful turnovers, just trying to draw the foul, just doing those garbage moves. And at some point when it keeps getting called this consistently, you're going to adjust your game a little bit. You're not going to do that quite as much. And then we won't see that call missed as much because it won't be happening as often. Well, and Harden had 19 free throws and then the win over Detroit. Right. Um, I also, this is a big part of it is the players, uh, the players bitching will have an impact. Like they'll just 100%. complain enough and it will eventually like start to even back the other way. Um, I have to transition. I have a, a, another theory about this entire situation. Okay. Everything's normal. Uh I looked at these numbers and was sh- I was absolutely shocked by them. So the big differential is that is this um, offensive rating, okay, um, is down for sure. That's absolutely a thing. However, if you compare these numbers to October in normal season years, the numbers are actually pretty well in line. So take a look at this. Um, the differential on above the break threes instead of being 3% last five Octobers, like first month of the season, it's only, it's less than 2%. Uh, Mm. Corner threes are actually up year over year or versus the last five year average restricted area is up by 3% over year over year in the first, in the first month of the season. Uh, Mid range shots last five seasons, 36.7 this season, 36.6. So, what I am genuinely saying is this is absolutely what we should expect. It is a little exacerbated. Um, the biggest problem I honestly think in from a betting perspective is that the books are basing everything on priors for last season and the, the, the off season expectations, the models are not accounting for this. And so this leads me to my big question. If we accept that this is a normal regular season adjustment, the adjustment typically comes in December. That's when we see things start to even out towards the normal rates that we'll see over the course of the season. 
Um, I, when I started doing this, like Rahim, I immediately thought of you because you're always saying, I don't want to try and catch a falling knife. Mm -hmm. So if we know that offenses are going to be heading in the right direction, I have tried in the past to go the, I'm going to get ahead of the regression. And I will tell you now that is dumb. Do not do that. Never try and get ahead of the regression. If you have a lean, if you think that a game is going under, I would probably trust that instinct until we see these numbers stabilize in December, which we should. Like, I don't think that you should try and be like, well, they shot really poorly last couple of games. They're like, I've seen this a lot. People have been betting on Portland basically be like, they're not going to keep shooting like this. And I'm, and then they keep shooting like this. And so I, from your perspective, I know that it's always about the number. It's always about the lean. It's always about the market, right? Playing the other betters, et cetera. But in terms of betting and trying to get, trying to factor in when we expect the regression, what are your thoughts on how to approach this as a totals better? For me, like I, I'm getting to the point where I, I, I totally agree with you on not trying to guess when the regression happens. I do think you have to kind of see some evidence of something because otherwise you could really you could throw away money weekly. Like, I mean, not to give an uh, example from another sport, but the Washington football team, they're, they've getting to the red zone in the green zone every single game, and they're just not scoring points the last two weeks. And it killed me this weekend once again. So I was for me, tail, I tailed you on that. Oh, my God. <laughs> me too. It's brutal. <laughs> but it's just like I, I think you kind of have to see some evidence of something, some type of change before you um, jump into it. But I, 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 at the same time, a guy like Damian Lillard is not going to continue to struggle like this over and over. So I think you you really want to pick your spots. Like obviously you don't want to you don't want to continually back something week like game after game after game after game. But at the same time, there's times where you 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 kind of have to bet the regression. So it's re- everything is really a case by case basis. It's dependent on the matchup. It's also dependent on who did they play the night before. They own a three 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 games and four nights. Like I think. One of my theories actually is for some of these unders is that early in the season, you have these teams playing three games and four nights or it, it's harder for these guys to have their legs underneath. So I, I think that's tough one, guys, too, especially guys who played in the Olympics. I, I think everything's a case by case basis. The under uh, in games with one team on third and in, in four nights a season is 21 and 17 for 55 percent. If you got both teams on the three and four, the under moves to one and six. So like, that's, that's like a good example of how these things can be a little bit wacky. I'll, I'll tell you, I want to ask you, I'll get to, I want to, Brandon, I want to get your thoughts in a second, but uh, Raheem, I want to ask you, I, the rest thing I'm paying attention to, I'm using right now rest is basically an excuse to not play a game because mm-hmm. I don't know. Like it's baked in. Like we know that yeah. they're on a three and four, the books know they're on a three and four. Like, how do you get an edge there based off of the fact that the books have already modeled in that it's a three and it's a, it's a rest as a vantage spot. Um, I think at least when it comes to that situation, you got to look at what the market is doing because you can have a public team that's getting the majority of bets and not factoring in that, like that rest there. So I, I, so I just think there's so many, there's so many factors to consider with these games and you kind of got to figure out which one of these factors is worth the most. I think you could see it in, I think Utah played the Bucks on Sunday night. And I think Utah is only laying two points initially. And it's just like, all right, the Bucks just played Giannis in 
Middleton heavy minutes and they don't have anybody else out there. Like I may have to attack the jazz in that spot, but, or you look at the, the Memphis Grizzlies, they played, they had a long road trip, West coast road trip. And you could see in the second half of that Portland game, they just had nothing left. So it's just like, I'm trying to anticipate spots like that to where it's just like, all right, yeah, this team has played so many different games and maybe the public is on the opposite side. So it's given me some value. I think too, there is, there is a misperception about the idea of regression and trying to predict regression and get on the right side of it. And I think it's a thing that we do subconsciously. Like if somebody stands in front of you and flips a coin, we know a coin is 50, 50. If somebody stands in front of you and flips a coin and gets heads 75 times, you know that that is very unlikely. 75 out of hundred seems crazy. Something must be wrong with the coin. There's 75 heads. And you know, in your head that if you were to flip this coin another hundred times, and it's just a perfectly normal coin that it's, it should regress, right? It should, it should move back toward 50%. But I think what we think often is, oh, well, in the next hundred coins, I should be getting a lot more tails than heads now because that will even back out to 50%. No, that's not what regression means. Over the next hundred coins, it should be 50-50. That's what a coin is. And that 50% out of the next hundred sample will drop the 75% from the first hundred slowly back toward right. the mean. Right. So it's it's important to not just be like, well, this team has been hitting every over for seven games. And that means now that to regress, I have to bet all the unders for a while. Like, I know we know that, but I think our brains often process as like, well, this trend has been happening too much. So it has to be the other trend now to even back out. But we're doing that with Dame, right? Like that's, that's a good example of, right? It's like, it's like the, the answer here is not that Dame is going to shoot eight of 10 from three for the next 10 games to even out and get back to 40% or whatever immediately. It's that he's going to shoot. He's a 41% three point shooter. He's going to shoot 41% roughly over the course of what, however many games like, and then it will just slowly average out. So I think that's part of like, and that, that, that the question is how quickly do the market, does the market adjust? Now I, I will say this is interesting again, recording this on Monday, if we look at the totals that are on the board. So um, Kenny Ducey, one of our colleagues at action network um, did a piece for boardroom looking at totals and uh asked some bookmakers and they predictably said like look we're not gonna overreact like you see this pretty often in the early season we're not gonna make any sort of like real adjustments on things um i understand that they said that however uh the knicks raptors has a 212 and a half total today uh nuggets grizzlies has a 216 with the grizzlies having the worst adjusted defensive rating in the league uh, Magic Wolves is at 212 and a half. Lakers uh, Clippers is 214 and Spurs Pacers is 218 and a half. We would not see a whole lot of, of sub 220s last season. So uh, I do think the books are starting to model a little bit more on this season rather than priors, Raheem. And I think that we're starting to see like a little bit of an adjustment downward, which is going to take some of the edge off of playing the unders in various spots. Oh, without a doubt. And I, I think you're seeing the market actually like move on these things. When you look at the, look at the openers and look at like where the line's sitting mm-hmm. now, Cavaliers Hornets open 224. We're at 220, 221. You look at the Raptors Knicks that opened 212 and a half. We're down to 208 and some 207s. Yeah. Like a lot of these numbers are moving and the, the, the betters are actually going under. So I've been, you know, you've been, you've been an acolyte for betting on, uh, about around 9 a.m. Eastern time. We talked about that on how to bet the NBA. 
I'll just tell you, I've been hitting them as soon as they pop the night before. And when I wake up in the morning, for the most part, I've had incredible CLV on some of these unders. Like if, if the numbers I've got have suggested an underplay, I'll wake up the next morning to a three point move. Like they're still coming in high and they're still getting bet down, which says that the sharp community is at least at some level um, hitting these and moving them down. Cause there's not enough action for it to be public movement. Right. Yeah. Like there's, it's got to be sharp action that's dragging those down. They're not going to get hit overnight by a big flood of public money. And I'm, I'm going to tell you the crazy thing is some of these numbers are getting hit down so low that they're, there's becoming value on the over. So if you yeah. looked at the, there was, there was an Indiana Pacers Toronto Raptors game, the first one, not the one that was on Saturday. It was the one that was during the week. I think it was Wednesday. Mm-hmm. The, the total actually opened 219 and got bet down to 215. It landed 218. So you could have middled the total. And I was saying it on my timeline. I'm like, at what point is there value on this over? And obviously the Toronto Raptors, they struggle in the half court with their defense, but the Indiana Pace, I mean, with their offense, but Indiana Pacers aren't a good defensive team. And I was kind of like saying it on the timeline and people were just like, the Raptors are our under team. And I'm like, look, four point line move is gigantic for the NBA. And you, if you if you bet the over two fifteen, it landed there. So, and if you had the under the earlier number, you were good. So, I just think at some point you kind of got to start fading some of these non moves because it's, it's at some point you you're you're a buyer. You you have to have a threshold for which side you're going to buy. Yeah, and I would say too, again, like what we've said on this podcast already, if we notice that unders are smashing this season, guess who else noticed the books? So yeah. they're going to fix things. So here's what I saw this morning. So over the last five years, we've had one of the underiest years uh, in October and also one of the overiest years. So 27, 2018, we had 58 and 44 unders in October that month. So 57% hit rate, not quite what we had this month, but that's, that is in the last two decades, the best unders month of October until this one, November unders were 50.7% basically just right back to even for the season unders finish at 51.4%. So the October number basically had no bearing. It just went right back to even in 2018, 19, the very next season, October unders were 44 and 65. So the unders were getting killed. Overs were smashing in that season. Overs hit 60% of the time in October, go to November. What happened? Overs, 49.8%. Unders, 50.2%. So it didn't even take until December. Literally by the next month, the books had adjusted right as everyone was like, hey, here's a trend that I'm seeing. Let's bet that trend. The books were like, guess what? We saw that trend too. And we adjust our lines. And now we're going to take even more of your money. Brennan hates the books with a, with a passion that I truly respect. So again, we're recording on Monday. You're not going to hear this until these games are over. So you know you can laugh at the results later. But I just from a process standpoint, Raheem, what do you have on um, the Blazers Sixers projection? It's two twenty five and a half in the market. Okay, um, I actually have that at two twenty six. Matter of fact, let me pull it up. So what have you got for that Blazers Sixers game? Not using last the preseason priors. Okay, not using preseason priors. I have it at two twenty one. Okay. okay. So, so it's, it's about right around where the market four is. Four points of edge to the under, because I've got it way under as well. 
Mm-hmm. Um, now Portland, it, I'm not playing it because Portland screwed me so hard last night versus Charlotte that I'm skittish. Um, they're on three and four. And while that's concerning, like Embiid's out. So you have the defensive presence gone, et cetera. Again, we're not doing it like a picks pod, but just like as a process standpoint, um, that is kind of interesting on wizards Hawks. What do you have on wizards Hawks? I have two nineteen. Yeah. So another underplay. So this is what I'm saying. I think the books are coming down. I still don't think that they're coming down enough. Brandon's right that they'll get there. Right. And like, there's, there's basically two things are happening and they'll meet in the middle. The offenses will slowly improve. The lines will move slowly down. They'll meet. And then the books will be able to adjust and basically catch back up and then start moving back towards overs. But just, just to give you an example on that wizards Hawks game yeah. with priors, I actually have it two twenty five. Right. So, so, yep. So, so this it's is just, what, this is what I'm so saying. So there's like a battle going on. Yeah. I, I think this is why we're like the unders are killing the books right now. And like, I don't know about sides in total or sides, but like, I do think that one of the things is, is this first month of the season has been not just a little odd or unexpected, but like, it's very clear when you look at the wizards lines that they are like using heavy on priors their totals are always in the two twenties based off of the idea that the wizards are a bad defensive team. And I'm like, they're a really good defensive team. They're going to be a good defensive team. They may not be great. They may have settled in at 12th to 13th, but even def- defense adjusted, I believe they're 15th. Like they're going to be fine. They're going to be fine on the defensive end. And it does not feel to me like the books have really accounted for that. And they still kind of like are basing everything on the preseason um, priors. Brandon, you had some like home totals, uh, some home trends that I wanted to look at. Yeah, just looking through the trends, and obviously there's small sample size for all of these, but if the home team is favored in a game, the under is 43 and 20 this season, so 68% hit. Home team is an underdog, the under is only 53%. So you're looking for home team favored, that is leaning under this year. If the home team is a Western Conference team, the under is hitting 68%. And, and specifically, if the home team is in the Pacific or Mountain time zone, so one of those later games, the under is hitting 19 unders, six overs. So 76% unders on that one. And that's by 14 points too. So I, I don't know, like that might just be fun with numbers and the sample is so small. I don't know that I'm making a ton out of it, but the trends are pretty strong and even getting stronger that way. Uh, one other one, the home team's previous total, if it was 22 and a half or over, then those unders are hitting 40 under and 12 over. So 77% on that one. So they're, there are numbers that are there. There are clear trends here. I just don't know if they are telling us anything about the future. The home stuff, I think, is really interesting. I looked this up. I thought this was because, like, this was. A, I, I was curious about the idea that the crowds were impacting things because that's been something that that I've seen on Twitter. Is like maybe it's that you know first season back with full crowds. Maybe that's distracting them and causing issues. Teams at home are shooting worse from three at thirty four percent than they did on the road last year at thirty six percent. So. Uh, if it's bothering them, it's bothering both teams, which I do think is an interesting kind of element. Like I dug into a lot of this during the bubble where there were actually like psychological studies done. They actually, they, what they did was they had teams shoot in a neutral and in a completely quiet environment. They shot worse then than they did if they had music. If they added crowd, they shot worse than both. So like, there's like a, basically a distraction element 
I think that's in play. What I'm saying is get rid of fans and we'll have awesome games. That's what I'm trying to say here. It's like <laughs> the fans are the problem. Um, in general, if you're looking for like, well, okay, so what do I take away from this? I mean, it's the same thing we're going to always say, which is you need to look at the market and evaluate where that is. I, I think Raheem's right that there's going to be opportunities for overs. I'll tell you that like my numbers have started moving a lot closer. Like I was actually genuinely concerned about the numbers I was using because they were so far off. They were mm-hmm. profitable but they were so far off. I was like, this can't be right. We're starting to see like that narrow. I've got a lot fewer plays on totals because they're starting to narrow a lot more. I think we'll continue to see that. And then probably the overs will start to kick up and be a little bit more, um, a little bit more playable. I would say though, that I, I will say, I don't expect this to really, the offense to really kick in until December. That's been the trend. I think this, like, I think for another month, the books are still going to want to use the priors. They're still going to be adjusting to, whatever. And they're still going to be there. Correct me if I'm wrong, Raheem, but like, you have to be careful. If you book it too low, the the sharps will absolutely start hitting you on the overs immediately. Right. Oh yeah. Without a doubt. And then we all know the public tends to come in on over. So yeah, you, you don't want that to happen. <laughs> all right. So overall though, I do have to ask this. This is a non betting question. Brandon, what do you think of how the games have been played? Cause I've loved gonna, them. Like, yeah, I was going to ask I, that earlier. <laughs> like we, we got rid of some of the fouls. We're complaining about all the missed shots. Pretty great basketball. The it's basketball great. is really good. Yeah. So uh, I don't know. All the betting trends aside, pretty good basketball. I kind of don't hate what has been happening over the last couple of weeks. Oh, I absolutely love it. And then I think the one thing I like is that we're seeing less stoppages. So mm-hmm. they, they're they not reviewing some of those out-of-bounds calls. Like both teams only have one challenge. So it's like the game is just a lot more free-flowing. I love when James Harden hooks a guy and they just completely ignore it. They don't call an offensive foul. They just keep it moving. And it like it's either a live ball turnover or a dead ball turnover. And we just go to the next possession. Like I, I love that we're not seeing guys rewarded for such trickology, <laughs> as I call it. Uh, I tend to be a, a pretty sensitive person in terms of like, you know, mental health and people's emotions and people's identity as, as a, as a person, but all these comments from the players about, be complaining about not getting the calls. And I'm just like, cry more. That's my, like, I just turn into internet dude uh, with those. I'm just like, cry more. Don't care. Games are awesome. Let them be physical. Let them play. You know, you know the, cra- the, the crazy thing that, that got to me is that the NBA is the highest level of basketball in the world. And you can go anywhere. You can go to Rucker. You can go to your neighborhood. You can, you can watch EuroLeague. You can watch high school. You can watch college. And there is no form of like acting that we saw like we saw in the NBA the last five, 10 years. Like, it's just, that just didn't exist. Like guys are just playing basketball and then somehow guys get to the, the highest level of basketball in the world. And there's just this level of acting. And like, I just want, I want guys to play basketball. Like I don't want to see guys trying to fool the rest. So I, I love it. My only thing is as long as it's safe, that's the only thing. If the players start telling me that they're like, no, I'm genuinely getting banged up. Like this is like, it's, it's good. It's hard on my body. I'm concerned about making it through the season. Okay. Like that, that's when I'll be like, all right, we got to get it back off. But like, still I'm reading Chris Herring's book on the nineties Knicks. The, these dudes would not survive. Like Trey young would make it through a practice with the nineties Knicks. I mean, it's, like the stuff that they talk about is crazy in terms of the physicality. And I remember watching that. So um, then we don't need to go back that far. We, we can, we can stay modern. Yeah. Um, I do want to make clear that my position is shooting threes is good. Unlike Brandon, that apparently is, um, is Charles Barkley, but uh, that's going to wrap it up for buckets. Thanks for joining us. Make sure to check out Raheem and Brandon uh, on the action network podcast on Mondays and Fridays for NFL uh, Raheem. And I'll be back for the Wednesday workshop 
going taking you through the Wednesday slate best bets for that week. We'll try and stay hot. Raheem's four and two uh, on those. I'm actually tracking them this this year. And then oh, wow, out, oh damn! So I got to step. I got to step my game. Yeah, I'm tracking you way. this year. I'm killing you in, on heat check though. You can check out heat check. Yeah, heat check. I'm 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 over. <laughs> yeah, you're over. Whatever. You're over. <laughs> uh, I'm leading heat check. Check that out on Wednesdays at. Um, six o'clock eastern as we preview the the slate at action network hq and on friday brandon i'll be back with our happy friday happy hour going over uh, whatever fun game brandon decides to bring to the table we'll do that on friday thanks for joining us we'll see you guys again next time on buckets